Psalm 84. And you can find it on the Bible in front of you on page 595. Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty! My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar. O Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their heart on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Look upon our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your course than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Thank you. Shall we just pray before we look at this song? Lord, we do pray that we would know something uh, fresh of the, the blessing of trusting in you. So we ask that you would speak to us freshly through this wonderful song. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> now, I don't know about you, but as the, uh, the clocks go back and the evenings draw in, I start um, thinking, wouldn't it be lovely to go somewhere nice for a, a sort of mini break or, or even a, a long break? Um, anywhere in the world, your dream destination, where would it be? Would it be the sort of beach house in the Maldives? Or maybe right now, perhaps a, a, a ski chalet? Or, or perhaps some um, Disneyland, which describes itself as the happiest place on earth. <laughs> which I suppose it is for some. Just turn to your neighbor for a moment and find out where their dream destination would be and why. Where and why? You've got a minute to find out from your neighbor. Where and why would your dream destination be? Okay. Any any suggestions of places over here? Cape Town. 
I hope we're not going to crow. But yeah, Cape Town, yeah, anywhere else? Mauritius, in the, we're heading for the sun. Sylvia? Uh -huh. <laughs> going home, yes, absolutely. Anyone else over here? Caribbean, and why? The weather, okay. It's, imagine, perhaps controlled either perhaps by the weather or by the people. Um, we perhaps fantasize about where we would go to have a, that, lovely, that lovely break. Well, this psalm is telling us that there is nowhere lovelier to be than in the presence of God. Uh, we're going to look at Psalm 84, page uh, nine, uh, 595. And it is a, a wonderful psalm about the Christian's certain future <clears throat> and how that certain future affects our perspective on life now and how that certain future affects our present behavior. And it's not just about looking forward to something in the future either. I think sometimes people think, when we think about heaven, it's, it's all about where we're going, uh, and that's all that matters, and we just kind of grin and bear it for now. But, but actually it's about how knowing where we're going in the future transforms our life now. The Christian walks with God because it's worth it both now and obviously in the long run uh, three preliminary points by way of introduction uh, first this psalm is about the heavenly city and God's personal presence verse one how lovely is your dwelling place O Lord Almighty <clears throat> it regularly talks this psalm about God's temple that is God's dwelling place on earth about God's city, that is Jerusalem, which is built on Mount Zion, that is God's holy hill. So the psalmist is longing to be in the presence of God. This is a, a pilgrim psalm about God's heavenly city. Secondly, this is a psalm about Jesus. Did you spot his name there? It's not very obvious. But in verse 9, it refers, look with favor on your anointed one. Now, whenever the Christian reads the Old Testament, we have to say to ourselves, how do I read this differently from a Jew who'd be reading this today? And when we see the words anointed one, we it should ring, a, ring bells, because anointed one is the name given to what well, it literally the Jew, Jewish word Hebrew word for anointed one is Messiah and the Greek word is Christos Christ so he's talking about Jesus here in the Old Testament the people prayed for the king for God's blessing on the king's city Jerusalem Yerushalom it's called the city of peace so the people could enjoy all the blessings of peace, of living under the king. And for the Christian, the psalmist's prayers here have been answered in Jesus Christ. Jesus has secured everything that the temple represents. So in the Old Testament, uh, the temple was the place where sacrifices were performed. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice for sin. We don't need the temple anymore. We have Jesus. In the Old Testament, the temple was where God dwelt. 
Jesus is the presence of God with his people through his Holy Spirit. So we don't need the temple anymore. We don't have to go on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to be in the presence of God. That's uh, very convenient for us. Jesus is now sitting at God's right hand in his holy city in heaven. However, there's another dimension to this. And if you'd bear with me and turn over to Hebrews chapter 12, this is page 1211, right near the back, Hebrews chapter 12, we have a New Testament take on Mount Zion, Jerusalem, where God lives. Hebrews 12, verse 22. This is the writer writing to first century Christians. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Do you see that? You have come, you have come, you have come. We're already in Zion, in one sense. We already have these blessings. But it's also a foretaste of what will be. So this psalm is about Jesus. And the third introductory point is to say that this psalm is about us and our journey to Zion, to that heavenly city. And the psalm describes the journey from this world through the valley of Baca to the heavenly city. And the valley of Baca is uh, the valley of tears. And this is just reminding us how to keep walking with the Lord now, even when times are tough. Not just rejoicing that one day we will get to heaven, though of course we do <laughs> rejoice in that, but we rejoice now that we are walking in the presence of the anointed one of Jesus and so to keep walking with him now so all that's by way of, uh, of introduction let's now look at this psalm and I've got three headings for us the the longing pilgrim is the first one secondly the persevering pilgrim and thirdly the rejoicing pilgrim so let's look first of all at the longing pilgrim verses one to four and this really is a picture of homesickness, spiritual homesickness or heavenly homesickness. Verse 1, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrows found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young. A place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. God's presence is lovely, he says. So verse 2, every part of his being is a passionate longing for God. My soul, my heart, my flesh cry out for the living God. Verse 3, his longing is for God. He's actually jealous of the sparrows. Have you ever been jealous of a sparrow? Well, the psalmist is here. They have a home. They have a nest. 
but the psalmist isn't home yet. And verse 4, how blessed are the people who are there. Lucky them. Just as we might say to someone who's just come back from, from Cape Town or um, Mauritius or Hamburg. Lucky you. Let me ask you, do you suffer from heavenly homesickness? A longing for God? We are earthlings, aren't we? We do get so wrapped up in the things of this world. And indeed, it's right to enjoy the things that God has given us to enjoy in this life. So there's nothing wrong with enjoying, you know, houses and family, friends, success. Those are, those are all good things that God has given us to enjoy. But do we have that heavenly homesickness? Do we have that longing for God? Can we really say with the psalmist in verse 2, my soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Or do we just dismiss it as kind of Old Testament um, sort of passion that, and we're English, aren't we? I mean, they were sort of Mediterranean, so sort of hot-blooded and passionate people. We're not like that. Might I suggest that if we don't have a longing for God, then there's something missing from our discipleship. I'm so grateful to my parents who gave me a kind of heavenly perspective. Shortly before he died, I rang up my dad. I was telling the staff team about this the other day. And uh, he, uh, he was an old man. He was uh, 89 when he died. And he, was, um, he used to go to bed quite early. So I rang him up at about 9 o'clock. The phone was answered straight away, which meant that he was in bed. So I said, sorry, Dad, have I woken you up? And he said, no, I'm sitting up in bed. I'm reading a, a book about heaven. It's marvelous. I can't wait. And within a couple of weeks, he was there. And on his gravestone, we have put the verse which Paul uh, wrote to the Philippians, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And Paul is talking here in the, to the Philippians about the tension he feels. He goes on to say, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I d desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So he's saying, yeah, I'm, I'm quite content to remain here. There's a job to do, and it's really, you know, for your sake that I, I want to stay here. But frankly, if it was just me and what I wanted to do, heaven wins every time. It's better by far. I wonder if we have that attitude to heaven, a longing for heaven. But Hebrews 12 said, you have already come to Mount Zion. So Christians coming together is actually a little foretaste of heaven. I don't know if you've ever thought this about coming to church six o'clock on a Sunday evening. At St. Michael's. This is a little taster of heaven. It's going to be a lot better when we get there. Of course, we're not perfect. But this is just a little taster. 
And so when you've got other things offered you in your exciting social diary, that's why you're here, you see. You say, no, no, I want my little taste of heaven. Or it's a Tuesday night and someone says, theater, <laughs> the greyhounds or whatever it is you might be tempted to do on a Tuesday night. And you say, no, 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 I want my little taste of heaven. Thank you very much. My home group meets on a Tuesday night. Or it's altogether Tuesday. A little taster of heaven as we come together, God's people. I was on a summer camp this, this summer and it went over 10 days. So we were there for a Sunday. And a friend of mine, who's also a vicar, said to me on the Sunday morning, he said, are you feeling homesick? I said, sorry. <laughs> he said, homesick for St. Michael's. And I said, actually, now you mention it, yes, I am. Because I, I like uh, going on summer camps. I like going on holiday. I enjoy going to other churches, but actually this is my home and this is where I'm with God's people. And this is, I don't know about you, for me this is a high point of the week. A little taster of heaven. That's the longing pilgrim. Yes, of course, to be with Christ is better by far. But we get these lovely little tasters here. And so we shouldn't congratulate each other when we sort of, oh, well done, you've made it to church. Like this is some terrible ordeal, like sort of eating a sort of spiritual all brand. Not nice, but it does you good. Um, no, this is a little taste of heaven. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God and we can experience him together here. So that's the longing pilgrim. Secondly, the persevering pilgrim, verses 5 to 8. And this section describes the pilgrim's journey. And the psalmist is a realist. Verse 6. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. The valley of Baca is a place of tears and weeping. And uh, one commentator says that Bacar is literally a tree that grows in drought conditions. And this is really saying that pilgrimage involves the desert place. And pilgrimage involves tears. But because of verse 5, the desert becomes a place of springs. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. Never believe anybody who tries to tell you that the Christian life should be trouble-free. You know, come to Jesus and all your problems will be solved. You'll never have any troubles in your life again. Uh, it's a terrible deception, that. And sadly, you hear it. And people get taken in by it. And then things go wrong. And they say, well, where's God? He's let me down. Now, we're never promised a trouble-free life, but we are promised the presence of the Lord Almighty with us as we go through the valley of Baca. And we're promised that we will go from strength to strength, verse 7. Now, I'm sure I won't ask you, but 
could ask you to, to turn to your neighbor and say, you know, what are the issues you're really struggling with at the moment? And it probably includes things like finance, job uncertainty, uh, what is my career going to look like, uh, housing in one form or another, relationship issues, family woes, long-term illness. Wouldn't surprise me if all of those things are represented here. Well, can I just say welcome to the Valley of Baca, the Vale of Tears. But verse 5, their strength is in you. They're plugged into God. They've set their hearts, he says, on pilgrimage, verse 5. In other words, their eyes are fixed on Jesus and their destination. Now, at half term, I, um, I went on a, on a walk with one of my sons. We went, walked some of the Cotswold Way, uh, sort of long distance path. It's about 120 miles. We, we, we did 60, so it's fairly feeble, really. But we had a particular destination that we were heading to. And as this old man was starting to feel sore in his toes, it was the destination that kept me going. And as we were walk, doing the walk, we thought, hey, Cotswold Way this year, what about the Camino de Santiago de Compostela next year? A cool 500 miles. Why not? And of course, the thing that keeps you going when you're on that kind of pilgrimage is the destination. I'm not sure that seeing St. James's bones in a cathedral is, is enough of an incentive for me to keep going for 500 miles, but, you know, there is the destination, and that's what keeps us going. This is what, really what the psalmist is saying, verse 5. They've set their hearts on pilgrimage so that as we pass through the veil of tears, it's all right. We keep going. We, in fact, verse 7, we don't just keep going. We go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. We have got a heavenly destination. Move over a farm in Gloucestershire. Move over a pile of bones in uh, Santiago. Jesus is waiting to say, welcome home. That's where we belong. All of us, of course, will go through the desert place at times. There's a, there is this wonderful realism in the Psalms. But the key to a fruitful journey is, are we plugged into God? Blessed are those whose strength is in you. I've um, been reading Jonathan Aitken's book on John Newton. I don't know if you know this one. It's a, it's a great read. It's, it's actually quite an easy read, uh, but it's, it's about a lovely story, a biography of John Newton. Um, and he, his life was not easy. His wife, Polly, was ill for many years before she died. He had a very close friendship with a Christian poet called William Cowper, uh, who was a suicidal depressive. Uh, his church turned against him. Uh, his marriage was childless, and then the child they adopted died, and he went blind in old age. Life was not easy for John Newton, but he said this in uh, something he wrote called An Authentic Narrative. The hope of that glorious inheritance inspires us with some degree of courage and zeal to press forward to where Jesus has already entered as our forerunner. And when our eye is fixed on him, 
we are more than conquerors over all that would withstand our progress. Isn't that a lovely thing to be able to say at the end of your, your life of journeying through the veil of tears? So that's the persevering pilgrim. And finally, the rejoicing pilgrim, verses 9 to 12. Verse 9, look upon our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man, the woman who trusts in you. Back in Philippians, where Paul looks at what he's left behind in becoming a Christian and what he's gained, he draws this kind of lovely comparison. Because Paul, of course, was um, you know, both Orthodox and privileged Jew. He describes himself as being circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee. You know, he got it absolutely right as a, as a, as a Jew. But he then says, for whatever, what, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God is by faith. And so he goes on. And the psalmist has something of that in verse 10, where he says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. One day with God is better than three years anywhere else, even Hamburg or Cape Town or Mauritius or wherever. And he says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper. Now, the doorkeeper sits over there. He has a rubbish view. It's the cheap seats. It's what in the theater they call the vicar's seats. Did you know that? Those cheap seats where, the only, where you can only see half the stage? Because those, those are seats the vicars buy, apparently. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> I can tell you, they do. I'd rather have the worst seat in the house, he says, than intimacy with someone who doesn't know God. Why? Well, look at verse 11. For the Lord is a sun. He brings life, nourishment, warmth, joy. Interesting that many of your favorite destinations were in the sun. The Lord is a shield. He gives protection, salvation, strength, security. He gives favor, grace, and blessing. He gives honor, glory in heaven. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. He gives us good things. He's a good God. Why wouldn't we want to be a doorkeeper? Why wouldn't we want a cheap seat there than a plush seat anywhere else? The Christian pilgrim can rejoice because this is their future and indeed it is their present. 
It's not just pie in the sky when you die. This is based on fact. This is truth. This is history. Jesus came. He lived. He died. He rose again. He's going to come again. Jesus gives us every spiritual blessing. And because we are convinced of that, we keep journeying through the valley of Baca, through the veil of tears, and we keep rejoicing. In the words of verse 12, O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man and the woman who trusts in you. Blessed indeed. Let's pray. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. Blessed is the one who trusts in you. Lord Jesus, forgive us for the times where we don't think we're blessed and we think that we've got a raw deal. Help us to have our hearts set on pilgrimage. Help us to remember our heavenly destination. Help us to be patient pilgrims. Help us to be longing pilgrims, longing to be with you. Help us to be persevering pilgrims so that we may be rejoicing pilgrims. Thank you for all that you have done for us in Christ. Help us to trust you, whatever comes our way. In Jesus' name. Amen.